Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Five Serial Killers Who Still May Be on the Loose The most famous serial killers in the world are the ones who have been caught. At the very least, it can bring some form of closure to the family and friends of the victims. Sadly though, not everyone gets to know the truth behind the story of a lost loved one, as there are an alarming amount of murderers still out there. Here are five serial killers who may still be on the loose. Number 5. Oakland County Child Killer Most of us would agree that perhaps the worst kind of crime out there is one that is committed against a child. And the Oakland County Child Killer is probably one of the worst offenders against them. This unknown child murderer or possibly group of killers are believed to have abducted and killed at least four children between 1976 and 77. While there are four confirmed victims tied to these notorious serial killings, 
There are still other suspected ones that have yet to be officially included. The first victim, 12-year-old Mark Tebbins, lived in Ferndale, Michigan, and was last seen on February 15, 1976. His body was discovered four days later, and police determined that he was sexually assaulted before being strangled to death. Meanwhile, Jill Robinson, who was also 12, went missing after she ran away from home on December 22, 1976. A day later, her bike was found abandoned behind a store on Main Street in Royal Oak, Michigan. Then on December 26, their snow-covered corpse was found along Interstate 75 in Troy. She had been shot directly in the face with a shotgun, and because of that was recognized mainly by the clothes she was wearing. Christine Milich, the youngest of the four at 10 years old, went missing the day after New Year's in 1977 from her home in Berkeley, Michigan. She was abducted while on her way home from a convenience store. On January 21st, her body was found on Bruce Lane in Franklin Village, Michigan, and the autopsy revealed that she had been killed less than 24 hours before her body was dumped in the snow. This meant that she had been kept alive for almost three weeks before being killed. 11-year-old Timothy King, the last confirmed victim of the Oakland County child killer, was alone at his home in Birmingham, Michigan on the night of March 16, 1977. He had decided to go out to buy some candy at a nearby drugstore, but he never returned home. Six days later, he was found dead on the side of the road in the town of Lavinia. Autopsy revealed that he was sexually assaulted like the other victims, and he died of suffocation just six hours before his body was discovered. Michigan authorities were on the hunt and formed a task force that worked on thousands of leads that came in. And it was through this wealth of information that they were able to establish the connection between the four kidnapping and murder cases. Police gave the name Oakland County Child Killer to the perpetrator or group of perpetrators because all of the victims came from the same aforementioned county in Michigan. Forensic DNA testing implicated two suspects, but one of them has since died. The other is currently serving life in prison for other offenses against children. A DNA profile was created from samples retrieved from the various bodies. However, this does not match the DNA of anyone named in connection with the four cases, including those two suspects. And so the identity of this killer still remains unknown, and it's possible they're still out there today. Number 4 Route 29 Stalker The Route 29 Corridor is an area in the state of Virginia that has become infamous because of the alarming number of young women who have disappeared along its long and winding road. Some of these individuals were later found to have been murdered and others remain missing to this day. The abductions and killings happened along an 18-year stretch between the years of 1996 and 2014. Statements from witnesses tell of an unidentified man who, while driving, urges women to pull over to the side of the road. He would get his victim's attention by honking the horn of his car, flashing his lights, or even rolling down the window and yelling at them, acting as if there was something wrong with their vehicle. 
The mysterious person would sometimes help some of them with their car troubles by taking them to a local service station, but others who weren't so lucky have simply never been heard from again. It started with the murder of a woman named Alicia Reynolds, a John Hopkins University graduate student. She was last seen on March 2, 1996 by her husband Mark when she told him that she'd be spending the day shopping with her mother in Charlottesville, Virginia. She never did go to the store, though, and that day her car was found abandoned in the southbound lane near Culpeper County. Police discovered a napkin on the windshield that indicated she was going to get help for some car trouble. Two months later, on May 7th, her body was discovered in a wooded area in Lignum, Virginia, around 15 miles southeast of where her car was. Although the cause of death has never officially been disclosed, it's believed she was killed on the same day that she was abducted. A day after Alicia's disappearance, at least 20 women came forward to report that a white male between the ages of 35 and 40, who stood around 6 feet tall, tried to pull them over, citing some mechanical issues with their cars that were non-existent. Witnesses said the mysterious man drove a blue pickup truck and called himself Larry Breeden. This prompted police to question anyone by that name, but that investigation, however, got them no closer to finding the truth. Several other murder cases involving women occurred soon after. On September 22, 1996, the burned remains of Anne McDaniel were discovered in a remote area in Culpeper on Route 723 near Lignum, exactly seven miles away from where Alicia's body was recovered. There were also reports of disappearances like that of 17-year-old Samantha Clark, who left her home in Orange, Virginia on September 13, 2010, and was never seen from again. The same happened with Sage Smith, a 19-year-old transgender who was last seen in Charlottesville and disappeared on November 20, 2012. Yet again, on August 3, 2013, Alexis Murphy, who was 17, went missing after leaving her home in Shipman while heading to Lynchburg. Her car was later spotted abandoned off US-29 in Charlottesville. The small geographic region in which these events occurred, the age and gender of these victims, provide a striking impression that these cases are most likely linked. Several criminals were believed to be the Route 29 stalker, and one of them was Daryl Rice, a man from Maryland who served time in jail for various offenses such as kidnapping, as well as being implicated in a double murder. There's also Richard Avonitz, who was a convicted serial killer operating in the area between 1996 until 2002, when he committed suicide while being arrested. A few more notorious personalities were linked, but so far nothing has been proven, and so the identity of the Route 29 stalker still remains a mystery. Number 3. Capital City Murders the Capital City murders involved the deaths of at least eight young women who were all associated with the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus. These killings all happened between the years 1968 and 1982, beginning with Christine Rothschild, who entered UW-Madison in 1967. 
An aspiring journalist, her body was discovered in the bushes beneath her room's window in 1968. It was a ghastly sight. She was beaten so ferociously that both her upper and lower jaw were broken. She had been strangled using pieces of her own clothing, and her gloves were shoved down her throat. The next victim was Deborah Bennett, whose charred and decomposed remains were found in 1976 in a ditch. It took police some time to ID the Iowa County native, but eventually did so thanks to her bone and dental records. The cause of death, however, was never determined. Then it was Julie Hall, whose body was discovered in a shallow grave along Woodland Road in 1978. A newly hired assistant on campus, she died from blunt force trauma to the head. In the succeeding years, five more women from the university, Julie Spearschneider, Susan LeMayu, Shirley Stewart, Donna Mraz, and Janet M. Rosh fell victim to the unidentified killer. If not stabbed, some of these victims died due to causes that couldn't be determined due to the fact that they were so severely decomposed when discovered. It should be noted that for all of these cases, authorities were provided with little evidence and clues that could lead them to the ones responsible. A man did confess to committing the crimes. His name is Henry Lee Lucas, a serial killer, but investigators were quick to discard his claims on the basis of his alleged psychosis. They also tried to assume the murders were all isolated cases, but even that didn't give any resolution to the mystery. As such, the baffling cases of the Capital City murders still remain unsolved. Number 2. Jack the Stripper Despite garnering intense media and public interest, and considered as one of the biggest serial murder cases undertaken by the Scotland Yard, the Hammersmith Nude murders still remain unsolved. The Hammersmith Nude murders refer to a series of six horrifying killings in West London, England, between 1964 and 65. The victims were all prostitutes who were strangled, stripped naked, and their teeth knocked out of their heads. Their lifeless bodies were then found in or near the River Thames in Hammersmith, Based on the similarities shared by the victims, the press opted to refer to the killer as Jack the Stripper, which was an obvious reference to Jack the Ripper, whose unlikely victims were also mostly prostitutes. The first to be killed at the hands of Jack the Stripper was 30-year-old Hannah Tailford, who was found by the River Thames in February of 1964. Two months later, 65-year-old Irene Lockwood was discovered along the same stretch of the river. Then in April, Helen Bartholomew was found in an alleyway on Boston Manor Road in Brentford. Her death gave investigators their first solid piece of evidence, flecks of car paint. Assuming that the paint came from the killer's workplace, authorities began canvassing automotive shops operating in the area. The search, though, yielded nothing, and soon after, three more female individuals fell victim to Jack the Stripper, and all of them were found with the same car paint on their bodies. A co-worker of one of the prostitutes provided police with a description of a male client who was last seen with the victim. 
This information eventually led them to a workshop near the location of the final crime scene. There they discovered the same kind of paint found on the bodies. An interrogation was made on those people with access to the shop. However, due to the lack of implicating evidence, police weren't able to make any arrests. There were at least six people who were suspected to be the culprit of these disturbing killings, and this even included two police officers, a detective, and a superintendent. However, it was a Scottish man named Mungo Ireland who police believed to be the real killer. Ireland worked as a security guard at the shop where the car paint was tracked back to. Shortly after that connection was made, the man committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. He left a note saying, I can't stick it for any longer. To save you and the police looking for me, I'll be in the garage. Though many believed him to be Jack the Stripper, it was found out, however, that when one of the victims was killed, Ireland was in Scotland. Number 1. Daytona Beach Killer The Daytona Beach Killer is believed to be responsible for the murders of at least four women in the Daytona Beach, Florida area. These killings happened within the span of two years, from December 2005 to December of 07. The first known victim was 45-year-old Laquetta Gunther, whose murder occurred on Christmas Eve of 2005. Her cold body was found half-naked in an alley on North Beach Street, and the mother of five had been shot in the back of the head. Then, just a few days after New Year's in 2006, 34-year-old Julie Green's body was found along LPGA Boulevard near Interstate 95. Like the former, Green was also left half-naked and shot in the back of the head. February of that same year, Daytona Beach police discovered the body of Iwana Patton, who was 35, on a dirt road. She'd been shot, but not in the back of the head, suggesting a struggle ensued between her and the perpetrator. Unlike the first two, investigators were able to recover DNA evidence at the crime scene, along with a shell casing that allowed police to determine the gun used in the murders. The three female victims are all believed to be prostitutes and alleged drug users. Authorities suspect that they voluntarily accompanied the killer before they were subsequently murdered and dumped in the area around Daytona Beach. But then 30-year-old Stacy Gage was found shot in the head as well in December of 07. And she didn't have a criminal record and also was never a prostitute. She did, however, have a history of drug abuse which led authorities to believe that this latest case was yet another doing of the Daytona Beach Killer. For several years, the perpetrator eluded law enforcement, but on September 15, 2019, Palm Beach County officials announced the arrest of Robert Hayes, who was 37, for the killing of Rachel Bay on March 7, 2016. The DNA evidence found on Bay matched the DNA recovered from Gunther and Green, This convincing proof led police to indict Hayes in the serial killings. As of the present, however, prosecution is yet to prove him as the man behind the Daytona Beach murders, and so it's possible the killer is still out there. So there were five serial killers who may still be on the loose. 
Just the thought that these kind of killers exist in the first place is chilling enough. But add to the fact that they could still be out there unchecked is an utterly terrifying fact. If you like this video, then please subscribe because every week we're putting out new mysterious videos for you to check out. And make sure to listen to the Scary Mysteries in Every Town podcast as well for more chilling stories. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.